and the text being the verses 14 and 15. But we're going to start at verse 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Now our text After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So far, our reading in God's holy word. Beloved, as we turn to the Gospel of Mark uh, this afternoon, just want to kind of gently land us in that gospel, a sense of where we are. Um, Mark's gospel is described by Mark in this way in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark's readers, his first readers, are probably Christians in Rome. They are people who have come to believe the gospel. And Mark writes to let them know about where that gospel began. He's giving them the backstory to the gospel of Jesus Christ. For they identify themselves as followers of Christ. And for Mark, and maybe you know this about uh, his gospel, and I think Christianity Explored might go through the gospel of Mark as well, as I recall. Uh, for Mark, you'll notice, and we, we read chapter 1, you'll notice there's no birth story. For Mark, the beginning of the gospel is really the cross, And his gospel is known first and foremost for the fact that it spends much of its time telling the story of the suffering and the death of Jesus the Christ. In the middle of the book, Mark, on three different occasions, um, tells about Jesus making an announcement concerning the cross. 
It's sort of easy to remember these because they're in three consecutive chapters in very similar verses. So chapter 8, verse 31, chapter 9, verse 31, and chapter 10, verse 33. Three separate times Jesus announces the cross. And there's this misunderstanding each time uh, on the part of his disciples. And that kind of weaves together that those central kind of moments where it becomes clear that the cross is the focus of, the, of Mark. It becomes clear that Mark has a specific purpose with his focus on the cross. He's not just telling the backstory to the gospel. He's also showing his readers what it means to be a follower of Christ. And in particular, what he is showing them is that when it comes to being a disciple, a follower of Christ, the cross is not sold separately. The cross, that is that symbol of suffering, colors not just the life of Christ, but it colors the life of the followers of Christ. And this is to help these first Christians begin to make sense of their lives as followers of Christ. Because as they have identified themselves as Christians, as they have uh, claimed for themselves the name followers of the way, they have also discovered in that experience that there is suffering, that there is opposition, that there is rejection, that there, there are sacrifices being required of them to continue to follow the Christ. Now, you live at a great distance from those first readers of Mark's gospel, both in terms of uh, time and in terms of um, culture. But you face an equally great challenge when it comes to being a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. You also experience that there are competing interests for your allegiance to Jesus. Money will compete. Family will compete. Power will compete. Status, security. All of these things have the potential to cause us either not to begin to follow Christ or at some point along the way to stop following Christ. But following Christ means following Him all the way, which will involve taking risks. It will involve making sacrifices. It will involve enduring suffering as you live according to the principles of the kingdom of God rather than the principles of the kingdom of this world. And so as we're here at the beginning of Mark's gospel this afternoon, I want to begin where all the following of Jesus always begins. And that is with the call to respond to the preaching of the gospel. And it's a call that you'll hear again this afternoon. You don't ultimately hear it from me, the preacher, but you hear it from Christ, the preacher. And so I've titled my sermon this afternoon, Responding to the Preacher. And I put a capital P on preacher so you wouldn't miss that it's not about me, it's about Jesus. Two points as we work our way through our text. 
a point for each uh, verse. For verse 14, his arrival considered, and for verse 15, his sermon uh, summarized. Uh, Back to verse 14 then. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news or the gospel of God. Uh, Verse 14 is like that moment in the play uh, after the intermission. You've watched the first act, you've gotten your, you know, your drinks and your goodies and stuff, and you've chatted with a few people, now you're back, you're seated. The curtain comes up, and it's a very different scene than uh, the one uh, you saw before uh, the intermission. And that is kind of what verse 14 is like for us as readers. Act one, uh, we've been watching as it were, uh, that That's all about John the Baptist. And the scene is the wilderness where uh, John the Baptist is proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And we see in that scene that the people of Jerusalem and the surrounding area of the providence of Judea, those people are going out to John in the wilderness, some out of curiosity, others in order to repent. Act 1 is all about a John preparing the way for the arrival of Jesus. And Act 2 is all about the arrival of Jesus. John departs for prison. Jesus arrives to preach. Now as we consider Jesus' arrival on the scene here in Galilee, it's it's good to observe that Jesus doesn't just show up on the scene. Jesus has been prepared for his arrival. God, and we see this in Act 1, God has been busy preparing Jesus to arrive on the scene. Just as the people were prepared for Jesus by John, so now Jesus was prepared for the people by his Father. And the preparation of Jesus, as we read it together in Mark 1, is threefold. First of all, he's anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. That's why he has the title Christ, which means anointed. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism so that he might be equipped to arrive at the scene and be ready to go. The second preparation by the Father concerning his Son is that announcement that comes from heaven at the same time as he is anointed with the Spirit. That announcement You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Whether you're a parent or whether you're an employer, it is intriguing what effect those kinds of words have on your child or your employee before they start working you say, I want you to know I love you and I'm well pleased with you. 
You're like, but I haven't done anything yet. Now, that's not the point. I love you. I'm well pleased with you. That's preparation that the Father does for Jesus as he's about to arrive on the scene. So, first preparation, he's baptized, anointed with the Spirit. Second preparation, the Father says, I love you. Third preparation, the Spirit sends him out into uh, the desert in order to be tempted by Satan. And there he is, 40 days. And God is preparing him through these 40 days of wrestling with Satan. God is preparing him uh, for his work as the Christ. And yet, even there, he's not alone. The angels minister to him, and the wild animals provide him company. Now, I just want to pause there for just a moment and talk about what that means in terms of being a follower of Christ, because there's something here for the follower of Christ, an encouragement here for you. Namely, that just as God prepared Jesus, so he prepares you to follow Jesus. Your baptism, and if you're a follower of Christ, then you'll have been baptized because that's what we do when we make disciples, Matthew 28. Your baptism testifies that you share in Christ's anointing with the Holy Spirit. Your baptism also testifies that you share in the Father's love for His beloved Son. And so also you can hear the Father say, you're my beloved Son, you're my beloved daughter, with you I'm well pleased. And finally, yes, God also tests you. Also supporting you with His ministering angels, but not with wild animals. He gives you fellow disciples instead. The point being that as we see Jesus here arrive on the scene, he has been prepared for this moment. Now, the backdrop to the scene is very different. It's not just uh, John has departed to prison and Jesus arrives to preach, but John was in the wilderness near Jerusalem and Judea, and Jesus is nowhere near there. Jesus is in Galilee. If you know a little bit about Israel and its geography, Galilee's in the north, Jerusalem, Judea are in the south. But even more important than the geography of that, uh, there's, a, there's a difference in terms of power. The power center's in the south. The power center's in Jerusalem. Galilee is nowhere near the power center, and everyone in Israel knew that Galilee was nowhere near the power center. Powerful people were in Jerusalem. The Hicks, the nobodies, were in, in Galilee. Reminds me of something the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 as he's talking to the Corinthians about what kind of people they were when God called them. And he says, not many of you were noble and not many of you were wise and not many of you were powerful and not many of you were strong in the eyes of the world but God chooses um, you know what is foolish to shame shame the wise and what is weak to shame the strong so Jesus arrives in this completely different area a new backdrop Galilee it says something about what God is doing 
And there Jesus preaches. Mark says he was proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God. I don't know about you, but I sometimes forget, maybe it's just because I'm a preacher, but I, I forget that Jesus was a preacher. That was who he was and what he did, first and foremost, as the Christ. We confess that also in our catechism, Lord's Day 12. He is our chief prophet and teacher. He's our chief preacher. Later on in verse 38 of chapter 1, he will say this to his disciples, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. You say, Jesus, why, why have you come? Why did you arrive on this scene? I'm here to preach. And not just in this town, but in this town and in this town and all the other towns. I'm here to preach. Something to be said for us there in that, in terms of the church and making disciples, isn't there? There's lots of different ways, opportunities, moments where, where we can connect with people who potentially may be uh, disciples. But if we're going to make disciples, then ultimately we need to uh, preach the good news. We need to preach the gospel uh, to people. And so for all the important moments that happen in the life of a local church, there is in many ways no more important moment when it comes to the making of disciples, when it comes to the teaching of disciples, than the Sunday gathering and the preaching of the gospel of God. No more important because of the content of that message. It is, as, as Mark says here, it's the good news of God. That is, it's the good news from God. It's the good news about what God is doing. And it's that good news that set the heart of the preacher's sermon. And so we come to verse 15 and his sermon is summarized. I hope you understand why I am suggesting that verse 15 is a summary of Jesus' preaching. Maybe I'm just saying that to justify the fact that I preach for you know, anywhere from 15 to you know, 40 minutes. And Well, this is a really short message. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. You know, people they hadn't even gotten settled in their seats yet, and he said, Amen. Right? So I, I, think you'll, I think you'll follow me in saying this is a summary of his sermon. In many ways, preachers have the easiest job in the world. Every week we get to preach the same message. Now I know we, we put variations on it and we put spins on it. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Good things. But at the heart of the preaching should always be what was at the heart of Jesus' preaching. This, this message that the time has come, that the kingdom of God is, is near, that it has come, and with that, the call to repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus says the time has come. What's he talking about? He's talking about the time 
promised by the prophets of old, of whom John the Baptist was the last prophet. And what did they promise? They promised the arrival of the kingdom of God. You say, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the reign of God over this world. You say, isn't God always reigning over this world? Yes, God is always reigning over this world, but his reign is not acknowledged everywhere, nor by everyone. But the prophets often spoke about the reign of God. Isaiah 52, just to give you a little taste. Some of these words will be familiar. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. The beautiful feet are the feet of Jesus. He comes into Galilee and he arrives on the scene and he preaches, your God reigns. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is here and it is near Now, why is it that not everyone everywhere acknowledges the reign of God? Well, it's because of sin and evil in this world. And Jesus arrives saying the kingdom of God has come and it is near because I have come and I am near to deal with the sin and the evil in this world. Jesus arrives in Galilee to to share the good news of God, that the age of promise is over and the age of fulfillment, that, by the way, is the literal word for come here, the time has come, the time is fulfilled. The age of fulfillment is, is present. The rule of God, the reign of God, is actually going to spread. And it's going to spread throughout the world. And God is going to triumph over sin and over evil so that one day the whole world is going to acknowledge the kingship of God and the kingship of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the good news that Jesus preaches. And Jesus is Himself the good news. Because the kingdom's coming with Him because of Him. In the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1, of, or the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. Jesus says it's the good news of God. Mark says yes, but it's also the good news of Jesus. Not because Jesus is the preacher. Yes, it's good news that comes from Him. But even more so because it's good news about Him. It's good news concerning Him. Because with His arrival, there is the kingdom showing up. And if you've ever kind of wondered, well, how is the kingdom, the reign of God, showing up with Jesus? You just have to listen to what Jesus says and watch what Jesus does. Because if you listen to what Jesus says, everything he says is tied up in the kingdom. He talks about entering the kingdom and how to enter it. Talks about life in the kingdom and the principles for living in the kingdom of God. Think of the Sermon on the Mount. He tells parables about how this kingdom of God is going to grow in this world and fill this world. But we not only pay attention to what he says and notice that the kingdom has arrived, we pay attention to what he does and we notice the kingdom has arrived. All you have to do is read the back half of Mark chapter 1. First story after the calling of the four is Jesus going to preach because that was his main job in a synagogue. And the evil spirits show up. 
to oppose him. And he casts out the evil spirit because the kingdom of God is near. And then he heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law because the kingdom of God is near. And he heals many other people and he casts out many other demons because he is in the process of triumphing over sin and over evil. But the greatest show, or maybe better said, the greatest demonstration that the kingdom of God arrives with Jesus is the cross of Christ. And as we remember his death uh, this afternoon, we remember that Christ is the victor. That on the cross, Christ Jesus triumphed over sin and over evil, and on the third day, he triumphed over death, which had come into the world because of sin and evil. This is the gospel of God. This is the good news concerning Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The kingdom of God is here, and it is now. And yet we know it is still coming as well. We live in that marvelous tension. The kingdom has arrived, and the kingdom is coming. That's why Jesus preaches and teaches and says, this is how you ought to pray. Your kingdom come. It's why he says, at the supper, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. And as Jesus is there, arriving on the scene, proclaiming this good news of God, he says, as the application to his sermon, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. Why do people need to repent? Because to enter the kingdom as well as to live in the kingdom, you have to turn from your sins. By nature, we are not active, happy citizens of the kingdom of God. By nature, we're active, happy citizens of another kingdom, the kingdom of this world. And sin is nothing but rebellion against the king. Sin is living as if you're the king or the queen, rather than living with the recognition that God is the king. And so you must repent. And I must repent. And we must turn from creating our own little kingdoms and living by our own rules to living in his kingdom on his terms. But not only must we repent, we must believe, says Jesus. You must believe the good news, says Jesus. You must believe that I am the Christ, that I have brought the kingdom of God with me. You must believe that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God has triumphed over and continues to triumph triumph over sin and evil in this world and in our own hearts and lives. And this call of Jesus is an ongoing call. He issues it in the present tense, repent and believe. But those tenses that he speaks with, they make clear that it is a continual process of repenting and believing. I think it was Luther who said at the beginning of the the 95 Theses that the Christian life is one of repentance. Repent. 
and continue to turn from your sin. Believe and continue to live each day by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have not responded in faith and repentance to the call of the preacher, then please remain in the pew this afternoon rather than come up to the table. You see, to come to the table, to eat the bread that is there, to drink the wine that is there. For you to do that, you have to first become a disciple of Jesus. But if you have responded to his call to repent and believe, then Christ invites you to his table. And he invites you in order to strengthen your faith. This is further preparation. This is ongoing equipping at the table. He invites you to his tables that by his Holy Spirit he might equip you to continue to follow him. And as you remember his death on the cross this afternoon, he also reminds you that what was true for the path he walked is also true for the path of those who follow him. And that is that the cross is never sold separately. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for the good news that Jesus proclaimed and that he still has proclaimed throughout the world that our God reigns, that you are king of all, and we pray that more and more people through the preaching of the gospel and its call to repent and believe, will bow the knee to Jesus and will acknowledge you as sovereign King and Lord over all, including their own lives. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for Christ and his coming into this world. And we thank you for the, the firm hope and the sure knowledge that he is coming again and bringing with him the fullness of your kingdom where you will be all and in all and we will sit at table with you eating and drinking and celebrating. May we get a taste of that this afternoon in this service and especially in this sacrament. In Jesus' name, amen.